niches that had been uh, dug out, and there were idols there to many different kinds of gods. And in that interesting setting, Jesus, who had picked up on the rumors about him, wanted to know from his disciples what they were hearing. And so he asked them this very famous question, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say that, that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. <clears throat> Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, he doesn't let them off the hook. Doesn't let them get away with quoting other people, which is how, what we do sometimes when we're asked a direct question. So he, he makes it even more direct. What about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, Simon was not always right, but he was almost always the first to talk. And so he answered, you're the Messiah. In another translation, the Christ, that's the Greek word. You are the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the chosen one of God, the son of the living God. And that, that answer has become the foundation of our faith in the church. And Jesus replied to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by, my, by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. As if to say to him, Simon, you, would, you wouldn't have caught on to this truth by yourself. It's too radical, too anti-intuitive. God helped you to it. And it's with that confession that I want us to start today as we talk about faithfulness. I want to take us to the bottom level. Before we can have faithfulness, we have to have faith in something, in somebody. So the first level is belief. Faith that. I believe that. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We, this is the great confession we hear in church. We have repeated it, most of us, ourselves. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that. It's mental ascent, really. But with that mental ascent, we, trap, we tap into 2,000 years of Christian history. And Jewish history before that. Now it is mental ascent. And so some lose their grasp on that mental ascent as they grow older, particularly if they go off to university where, where the foundation of their faith is challenged. I used to teach at university. And my, uh, my years as a professor taught me not to be quite as concerned as some people are about the loss of faith at, at the university level. I, I, I pretty much subscribe to what Rabbi Kushner has said. He said, losing faith in childish understanding of God is not the same as losing faith in God. Interesting, when the, and you'll laugh at me probably, but when my students would come to talk about the experience they were having, of, they, they felt like they were losing their faith. My first question to them was, how much sleep are you getting? Because I discovered if they were tired, sleep-deprived, uncertain of anything, really, they would be uncertain of their faith. And so my first prescription was, get some more sleep, and then let's talk. And then we would talk about what was happening to that mental ascent, because they were undoubtedly giving up some of the childishness of their faith and needing to replace it with a more mature understanding. You know, you're not the same when you're in college. You're not the same person that you were when you were five years old, seven years old, 
10 years old, you have been growing. It is inevitable that there will be some questioning, some analyzing, some doubt when you get older. And one of the reasons for that is that we have some childish understandings that we need to get rid of. We, we must not continue to look at Jesus as a magician who works magic and impresses us with his magic or, or, or see him as a policeman. I confess I remember that period of my own life when I saw Jesus as the policeman who was watching everything I was doing and he was catching everything that I was doing wrong and I was afraid. Nor is he, nor is he a, like a sugar daddy who just tolerates everything and anything and we can just count on him to give and to give and to give regardless. Or we might think of him as a paymaster who is counting the hours, counting the activities, counting what we're doing for him and will pay in return. Some people really are worried that they haven't earned enough credits to be able to get into heaven. Or, or it could well be that I don't believe in Christ at all. That what I really believe in is fate or, or predestination. That it doesn't matter what I do or what I say. It's all been predetermined. That's, that's behind that comment that we make. Well, uh, when my number is up, I'll die. Uh, when I re I've been thinking about this a long time because when I resigned and left the little church I started in Oregon to go across the country to teach college, these dear souls in, in the church um, saying their goodbyes to me wanted to make sure that all the bases were covered and more than one of them said, God bless you and good luck. God's got this part covered, luck's got this car, uh, part covered, and so we've got you totally covered. Goodbye, God bless, good luck. So what do we, what do we mean when we say I believe? I believe, I believe that. We have all kinds of beliefs, don't we? I believe that Kai McKee Christian Church is a great church. I believe that Hope International University, where, where I used to work, is a great university. I believe the Christian Missionary Fellowship with whom I still work is a great missionary agency. I, I believe that the sun will come up tomorrow. I believe that two and two makes four. I believe that of all of the vegetables, the very best one is chocolate. <laughs> We've got an amen. I believe... I believe lots of things, don't you? Now our distinctive here, and I've already touched on it, is that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that all this wrapped up in this thing called the Christ event is true, and that is an anchor for me. I'm in the church as a way of demonstrating that I believe in this Jesus, this Jesus Christ. We were in Morocco for uh, Christmas about three years ago, uh, we wanted to go to a Christmas program in a Christian church. Now, Morocco's a Muslim country. It was a nice young man who'd been taking care of us in a lot of ways, and we asked him uh, if he could tell us where we could find a Christian church. He didn't even understand the question. It is a totally Muslim country. Didn't know what a church was, but he went to work, and he found one for us, and we were able to go, and we had a, a wonderful experience didn't even think about it at the time, but we realized that our even asking for the church, our even going to church, was making a statement that we're Christians, that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that experience reminded me of an older man that I had read of a number of years ago 
who went to church every Sunday. Nothing particularly peculiar about that, except that he was stone deaf. Yet he was in church every Sunday and every Sunday. His neighbors noticed that. Finally, one of them wrote out a question for him to answer. And, and the question is, why do you go to church every Sunday when you can't hear anything? And the man answered, it's because I want people to know whose side I'm on. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want people to know that. That is what I believe. And, and that's not the only reason we hang out with each other. I, David Bradley has said, the capacity for belief is something I acquired for, from being so much in contact with others who believe. We do influence each other. Uh, I, I know of a pastor's son who was struggling in his teen years with questions about his own faith, and he was talking those questions over with his father, to whom he said, the strongest argument for Christianity to me is the fact that you believe in it. Pretty strong statement, isn't it? So we hang out with each other so that we give our testimony by our very hanging out with each other in church that we believe, and that belief is strengthened by our hanging out with other people who believe. And we need to lean on one another from time to time. Well, that's, that's the first level. Let's go up a notch. The second level of faith is trust. And here we move from I believe that to I believe in. So we've added a little something to the great confession that Peter made. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I take him to be my Lord and my Savior. That's my statement of trust. He's the one that I trust. You understand, for much of the record of Peter, as we read it in the Gospels, Peter mentally assented to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. But then you know what happened to him. You remember what happened to him when the crisis came. Jesus was condemned to die. Peter distanced himself because he did not want to be condemned with Jesus. And then you remember it was a simple serving girl who smoked him out. She recognized that by his accent that he was a Galilean. She accused him of being a follower of Jesus. Peter denied it, cursed, withdrew, denied. It was a terrible moment in Peter's life. And maybe a moment that you've experienced. I think I know what it felt like too. To, to mentally assert is one thing. But... To stand firm when you are threatened, that's another. The difference between believing that and believing in. But now this, this story we know because Peter told it on himself later. And this same weak-willed Peter, who cowered before the accusation of a servant girl, was the one God chose to preach that, that famous Pentecost sermon, preached the sermon on the day in effect that the doors of the church were open for the first time. And on that day, and you'll recognize this, after he traced the history of God's activity through the people of Israel, he came to this ringing peroration. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what do we do? And Peter replied, Repent. 
Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. I don't want you just to believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. I want you to believe in him and thereby save your own souls from the corruption around you. What a transition had happened in between his denial and this ringing resolution and ringing affirmation of faith. Jesus was crucified, but he was raised from the dead, Peter believed. And it transformed him from believing just with mental assent to believing with his heart, believing in him. And so he would say, as we would say, and I take him to be my personal Lord and Savior, and I want you to also. Of this belief, the Apostle Paul later wrote, yet I'm not ashamed, because I know, I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that very day. I trust him. I've entrusted my life to him. Now, I know that this is hard for some of us to hear because we, we live in an age characterized by distrust, not by trust. So it's hard for us to believe in anybody or anything. Now, I, for a few years I, I taught a course in the cinema, so I had to watch a lot of movies to teach the course about movies. And I caught on to something that I was totally oblivious to when I was a child. Movies from the late 30s through the 40s, through the 50s, into the 60s. I was astonished in, in reviewing those films to discover that everybody was smoking. Everybody was smoking. It was considered sexy, chic, sophisticated. And they were all smoking. And when I was a kid growing up in that culture, I didn't know that there was anything unusual about that. I just thought that's what people did. Not only did we see it in the movies, but it dominated the airwaves, the commercials. I, I'm going to read you a commercial I, because, because I heard this when I was a kid, and I accepted it as true. Listen to it. According to a recent nationwide survey... Some of you are going to be old enough to remember this. According to a recent nationwide survey, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. How many of you remember this? Yeah, it's nice to have all three of us here. Um, <laughs> let me see. I've lost my place. Okay, three leading independent research organizations asked this question of... Notice the specificity. 113,597 doctors. Does that ring true? I believed it when I was a kid. The brand named most was Camel. And another reason I believe that is my dad owned a grocery store and I grew up helping him in the grocery store and I knew that we sold more Camels than any other brand of cigarette. Now you probably enjoyed... 
full, rich, full flavor and cool mildness in a cigarette just as much as doctors do. And that's why if you're not a camel smoker now, try a camel on your T-zone. That's tea for taste and tea for throat. Your true proving ground for any cigarette. Sea of Camel's rich flavor of superbly blended choice tobaccos isn't delightful, extra delightful to your taste. See if Camel's cool mildness isn't in harmony with your throat. See if you too don't say Camel suits my, Camel suit my T-zone to a T. I can hardly read that with a straight face. But I grew up with that. I, I was taught to believe commercials. I wonder if today's kids believe commercials. I wonder in this, in this more jaded era if any of us believe commercials. Now, you can't believe commercials. You can't believe advertising. Uh, can you believe professions? The Gallup poll was taken a few years back, and the question was asked, what professions can you trust? Nurses were the most trustworthy followed by pharmacists, followed by physicians. Now, I, I pause there. Suppose your nurse and your doctor are disagreeing. This suggests you would trust your nurse before your doctor. Let's come on down. It gets worse. Nurses, pharmacists, physicians, high school teachers, police officers, clergy. But at least we're ahead of funeral directors. Accountants, journalists, and bankers. And on down to the very bottom of the list, you'll find members of Congress and lobbyists. <laughs> now, how do you hold a country together when people operate on the basis of distrust? Now, we've all learned to be aware of the person who says, just trust me. The minute a person says, trust me, you don't. That's our culture. So when I talk about believing in, I'm talking to people who are hardened against believing in because of our experience. I personally questioned and questioned on this matter of faith in Jesus. But I, I'm still with Jesus because I haven't found any satisfactory alternative I've held the hand of many patients who are dying in the hospital. Been kicked out of hospital room. I'm thinking of one old man, for example. He was angry. He was bitter. Probably afraid of death. Certainly afraid of dying. And maybe afraid of the preacher who represented God. Anyway, he wanted me out of his sight. I remember him. Because that was so unusual in my experience. Much more often than not. In those hospital rooms, I've been with people who have died without fear, without bitterness, with the trust that the God who had taken them this far would take them through the next phase and into life to come. Those people didn't believe just that Jesus was the Christ. They believed in Jesus as the Christ. And that faith enabled them to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, speaking, by the way, of, of, of death and dying, I've done a lot of funerals, and I always ask the family, is there a particular scripture you'd like to have me read at the service? And you know the one that they pick out. Psalm 23. Listen to this. The Lord 
is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a reason we, we turn to that, that psalm. It's all about trust. It's all about belief in. I have to stop. <laughs> I may have told you this story. I can never read the 23rd Psalm without thinking of Sylvia. Sylvia was a little girl, early grades probably of elementary school, in Sunday school. And one day in Sunday school, they were studying the 23rd Psalm. Now, I've told you, my hometown is Tillamook, Oregon. Land of cheese and trees and ocean breeze. Lots of cows. Lots of pastures. So she grew up. She was a farmer's daughter. She knew about cows and she knew about pastures. She knew that cows produce milk. But they produce other stuff as well. Which they deposit in those pastures. <laughs> and as Sylvia pictured... The 23rd Psalm, she looked up at the teacher and she said, ain't nobody going to make me lie down in no green pastures. <laughs> that hasn't ruined the, the psalm for me, however, because it really is a psalm about trusting God. Just notice the, just notice the verbs here. They all are about trusting in. He leads he restores, he protects, he comforts, he blesses me abundantly. Therefore, I will trust God for today, and I trust God for tomorrow and forever. And that God in whom I believe said of the Savior in whom I trust, this is my son. Listen to him. So I've been listening to him because I believe in Jesus. Now we're ready to talk about faithfulness, because that's the third level. We, first comes the mental ascent, then comes the trusting of the heart, and now comes the, the level of, of commitment that sticks with this belief for a lifetime. So, Peter, who so messed up, opens the church doors with that sermon on the day of Pentecost, and becomes a leader in the church, a martyr for the cause. He had committed himself. All of this we would not know if Peter hadn't told us. It's from him that we get our understanding of what it means to call Jesus Lord. And Peter served him for the rest of his life. Paul Tillich, a famous theologian of the last century, defines faith simply as ultimate concern. Ultimate concern. Meaning, what I'm concerned about more than anything else, the ultimate is Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I am that concerned, so concerned about what is ultimate in my life that I give my ultimate to him. Now, 
That means that faithfulness, faithfulness is commitment. It's not feeling. And I think maybe a good way to, to think that through is to go back to the Old Testament, to Exodus chapter 15. The, uh, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, they're referred to, have been led out of captivity in Egypt. They are now on their way toward freedom. They have just escaped Pharaoh and his, uh, and his army. And in the 15th chapter, we read these words, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. They're excited. They've just been delivered from Pharaoh. Verse 19, when Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Time of great rejoicing, because good things had happened to them. And because good things happened to them, they wanted to celebrate, and they did celebrate. And it was fun. It was just fun. There are times in our faith walk that are just plain fun. Those times don't require faithfulness. Follow the story shortly after that, and they're in the desert, and they're wanting water. They find water, and it's bitter. Scripture says, Lord, sweetened the water. Then they were hungry, and they cried out because they were hungry. And the Lord provided manna and quail. Pretty monotonous diet, but they ate well. But they were also complaining. Get into the 16th chapter, and here's what we hear. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, accusation toward Moses... You have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Wine, wine, wine. 17th chapter. No water. More complaining. Finally, the Lord has an audience with Moses. Moses has an audience with the Lord and says, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. So the Lord told him to strike a, walk, a rock and water would come, and it was so. But they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, why am I telling you this story? Here's why. Because there are two kinds of people that dominate in the story. One is Miriam, and the other one is Moses. Miriam is the kind of believer you want to hang out with when, when times are good. She's fun. It's fun to worship with her. Festive interest, uh, instruments. All emotion, in the moment, that's it. My guess is it wasn't a lot of fun to hang out with Moses. He brought down the books of law for the education of the nation. He molded the nation together so that it would survive for thousands of years. Moses is stable. He's the representation of stability here. And of persons who were founded on the word of God. He may be stern, but he's steady, and he's committed. And it is to Moses we turn for guidance, not to Miriam. He trusted God, was committed in spite of what was happening. Now, this is not an old story. It's as, it's as recent as, well, for me, 
One, just one example, the year 2008, the crash, the Great Recession. One of my very best friends went through a tough, tough time, heavily invested. He was losing it all. And we had to talk, we had to talk often because he was just barely hanging on, not only financially, but emotionally. And in the midst of that, he said something that characterizes so many people, but it is such a sad statement. He said, I'm at my best when things are going well. When they're not, I'm not. Now, I might have said to him, it's because you believe that. You may even believe in, but you have not yet committed yourself to the Lord to stick with the Lord and let him stick with you through the toughest of times. You haven't really learned to trust him. More than 50 years ago, I went to work for Christian Missionary Fellowship. This is the mission organization that, that um, Dr. Nancy Pace has been a board member of and uh, the Van Wagenens were missionaries with. Well, when I went to work for the CMF, I was uh, the candidate secretary. My job was to visit with prospective missionaries, assess them, help to get them ready to go to the field. I was living in East Tennessee at the time, so I drove over to Western, I'm sorry, Eastern North Carolina uh, to visit Ray and Effie Giles. Ray and Effie had three little children. Ray was the preacher of the church there. And... Uh, it just took one weekend before I knew these people are winners. They're for real. And it wasn't because of how they tried to impress me with their religiosity. Not at all. It was because of a story that I learned while I was there. And the story was, I'm having trouble with this thing today, by the way, and it's the, it's the fault of the air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> he helped me, Nofo. <laughs> the story that I heard was this, that, that Ray not only pastored his little congregation, and he was a good pastor, but he worked in town. And in town, he worked among some African-Americans. And he helped them. And that was known in the town. It was so well known in the town. Now the story I'm telling you is in the 1960s. The heart of the civil rights movement. And the tension, the extreme tension that we were feeling as a nation. He was so effective in working with the Amer African-Americans in his town as well as the white people in his town that the Ku Klux Klan burned a cross on his front lawn, which had to have been intimidating to his wife and his children, and probably to him. Did I have any doubt that Ray would be one of the finest missionaries I've ever known? No. And I, you can imagine the report that I wrote about a man who not only believed that Jesus was the Christ, believed in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, but committed his whole being to him. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. 
Ray kept a journal all the time that he was on the mission field. I'm not reading from his journal now, but he could have written these words of the Apostle Paul. The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What a difference our faith makes. Everybody fights, but do we fight the good fight? That's the question. And not everybody keeps the faith. This is the highest level. Well, I, th this week I, I watched a video of Wayne Cadero, the pastor of the New Hope Christian Fellowship. He was talking about his cancer. He, uh, he was diagnosed in December, same time our pastor Ron was diagnosed with his cancer. And I listened to him hearing from Wayne Cadero the very same things that we as a congregation have heard from our pastor Ron. Again, again, in a variety of ways, he was saying, God is in control. And I have peace because of it. And he was at pains to make certain that people understand that God's promises are as true in tough times as they are in good times. And how often now we've heard that from our own pastor. So James writes in the first chapter of his letter, verse 12, Blessed is the man or woman who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So, we trust him. So, we are faithful to him right up to the very end. We are committed. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness.